Doesn't seem as windy this week up here. But I came prepared with hair clips. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like a word of encouragement on a Sunday morning. Uh, Rob Bain said to me, Oh, you're on again. (laughs) I said, Yeah, yeah. And I said, uh, looks like some people have actually come back as well. He said, but you know that some people haven't. <laughs> <laughs> we continue the series in Genesis. We're looking at the first 11 chapters um, to do with the, specifically looking at foundational truth. And a couple of weeks ago, Garth started with the Genesis 1 and the story of creation and looking at the majesty and mystery of God in creation. That it's not so much about the creation story itself but much more about who God is. The majesty and mystery of God in all that. And uh, he's a God of order, a creative God. And last week we looked at the rea- relational God. Uh, God the author of relationships. He created man to be in relationship with him and created woman that man would have relationship with woman and we would have a relationship with one another. And now Genesis 3, the fall of man, it's where sin enters the world. I'm not sure if you've ever ever given much thought to how an Eskimo um, takes care of a a wolf. Uh, When I say take care, I mean kill. um, (laughs) Trying to be polite here. All the kids have gone out, haven't they? The the Eskimo, um, and I'm not like, sort of into this a lot, I just sort of came across it. The Eskimo has this, he gets his sharpest knife and, and sharpens the blade as much as he can, gets it as sharp as he can and first of all coats it in, in animal blood, um, preferably seal for some reason, I think they must like seal blood. So anyway, covers it in animal blood and freezes it. Only takes a few minutes and then takes it out again and does it again and keeps doing it and doing it and covering it in blood and freezing it and covering it and freezing it until it's like this icy pole, uh, Sam. Not, not the ones you'd probably give to your kids. but it, And he takes this um, sort of icy pole thing on a knife and buries the handle into the snow, into the woods and walks away and leaves it there and sets this trap for the, for the wolf. And the wolf comes along and because of his desire for the, for the blood that he can, that he can smell... He starts licking ferociously away at it and licks and licks and licks and keeps going and going and going and builds a stronger appetite for it and keeps going and going and going and when it's too late he realises that he's actually licking, he's actually cutting himself as he licks the knife and the blood that he's tasting is actually the wolf's blood and the Eskimo knows that he can find the dead wolf there uh, the next morning or whatever. What is sin? Sin is such a uh, sometimes misunderstood term. Romans 6.23 and Romans 3.23 put it very simply. First of all, that the penalty for sin, the wages of sin is death. But it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we're going to look a bit at that later on. Romans 3.23 gives a bit of definition. It says that the um, that we, ha- we, have all, we are all sinners 
and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That There is no category of people who sin, that we are all in the same boat. No matter how good you think you are or how good you think the other person is, that you're much more of a sinner than someone else. The Bible doesn't say that at all. We are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is talking about the nature of God, the very perfect, holy character of God and that's the standard, that's the benchmark that we're talking about and we're all in the same boat because we are all born with a sinful nature, not the nature God first created us with. We are born with a sinful nature and that because we are sinners we continuously fall short of God's perfect character. That does not come naturally to us to live like God lives and live like who God is. And this all started in Genesis 3. In verse 1 um, that Aloise read very well to us, uh, Satan engages in conversation with Eve, with the woman. I'll use the term the woman because she's not Eve yet but Satan engages in conversation with the woman and the woman, you'll see her response is to not walk away but actually to become engaged and to, and to continue in conversation. And in verse 1, Satan plants a seed of doubt in the woman's mind. She said, he, uh, Satan says through the serpent, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? You notice that Satan doesn't mention anything about the things that God has freely given them. He instantly goes to the one command that God says do not do and he attacks her with this to put some doubt in her mind about God's goodness. Did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit from any of the trees? And in verse 2 and 3 she engages in conversation and you'll notice if you're if you know Genesis 2 or if you were listening last week that she alters the words of God. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. The word of God is, is the absolute truth. If you were to be stranded on an island somewhere and all you could take was, a, was one book, I'm telling you, it would want to be the Word of God. It would want to be the Bible because in it is complete truth. There's no lies. There's nothing you have to skip a few pages because you're not sure about. Everything is the truth. It, it gives us everything we need for godly living to know who God is, to have a relationship with God, to know we're going to spend this eternity in heaven. Everything is in here. And we're continually commanded never to take anything away from the word of God and never to add to it. Because there's nothing you can add to it um, to make it more true. It is the truth. And you can have all the documentaries and uh, commentaries in, in, of the Bible but in reality nothing. Uh, there's nothing more we need to add or take from the word of God because it is the truth. And you see what Eve has done. Uh, God said in chapter 2, you're freely 
able to eat. And, and she didn't use that word freely. She said, we're able to eat it. Freely able to eat. And then she says that God said, we're not allowed to eat it or even touch it. That's not what God said. And so the lies come from Satan in verse 4. He goes from planting a seed of doubt straight into an outright lie. You will not die. You will not die. And the second lie in verse 5. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Satan's second lie to Eve is, is trying to convince her again of the things that God is, not, God is holding out on her. God is holding out on them. Again, his focus isn't on the things that God has freely given them but it's on the thing that God has commanded them not to do, to be obedient to. Hey, it's much better if you get involved in that, if you eat that. God doesn't want you to be like him. God is holding out on you. There's something you're not enjoying because God doesn't want you to. It took a seed of doubt and two lies and verse seven, uh, verse 6 sorry, says that she was convinced. She was convinced. You know, sin, sin starts in the way in which we think. Sin starts in our mind by the way that we think. It's often said that uh, I didn't really think before I did that. I didn't really think before I said that to that person. But I think that's a cop-out. I really do. I don't believe it. We get angry because we think first about a situation. Uh, we backstab people because we first think things about them and then we act upon the way we're thinking. There's breakdown in marriages and people cheating on their wives and husbands because first of all they're thinking about it and those lustful thoughts turn into lustful actions. That's what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5. And he said, you here do not murder, but I say if you get angry against your brother. You here do not commit adultery, but I tell you if you have lustful thoughts you've already done it. Sin starts in our mind. The way that we think will affect the way that we live. The way that we think will affect the things that we say. What we allow to come into our mind through our eyes and through our ears will affect the way that we think as well, which will then affect the way that we live. Romans 12.2 says let God transform you and last week we looked at Romans 8.29 it spoke about God has, has chosen us to become like Jesus and he says in Romans 12.2 let God transform you that's changing us to become like Jesus by changing the way that you think if you know Jesus Christ as your saviour and then God, Jesus has come into your life, he says, that he wants to change the way that you live. 
that that standard, that perfect, holy, moral standard of living that God is, that is the benchmark of perfectness, can only be ever true in our lives if Jesus is in our lives because it's him reproducing that in us. And that's only going to happen if we allow and surrender our minds to Christ that God will change the way in which we think which will then change the way we live and we relate with one another. What about you this week, uh, for today? What does it take you? I, I mean, I know for myself, my weaknesses, my struggles. You can only think about yourself this morning. What does it take you? What's it going to take you this week when you, wake, when you go home today or wake up tomorrow on a Monday and deal with temptation? Is it as simple as a little lie that comes into your mind? It's much better if you get involved in this. You'll enjoy much more about life. You'll be so much smarter if you get this job or if you go and do this or if you see what you're looking at, if you go and take part of that. What what does it take for you to give in to temptation? It seems like it was so easy for Eve after a seed of doubt and a couple of lies, bang, she was convinced. But I dare say it can be just as simple and we fall just as easily. We need to continually surrender ourselves, continually come before God. Lord, in this day, please, lead me not into temptation. Take control of my mind, of what I see, of what I hear and change the way that I think about people, about things and change the way that I live. Satan's still using these same Techniques, these same lies that what he used against Adam and Eve. And you see the pattern that happens after she was convinced. It says that she was convinced and she saw it was beautiful. She wanted wisdom. So she took it and ate it and she gave it to her husband. And it's interesting to note that her husband was with her. Her husband wasn't at the other end of the garden doing his own thing or doing, looking after the garden like God had told them to and then Eve came along walking all the way down to where he was to give him some fruit and he had no idea what was going on. The Bible says that he was with her. Now I'll read into that that Adam was probably, and I dare say was within earshot of exactly the conversation the serpent was having with his wife. And he took, he never jumped in, he took and he ate. Verse 7 says, at that moment, that's the moment when everything changes, everything changes for everyone. At that moment, the adrenaline rush, the, the chit-chat with the devil, the wishful thinking, the selfish desires, 
They're all gone. And the guilt and the shame sinks in. How it must have hurt God to see woman and man with that guilt and the shame. The ones he not so long ago had just created in his own image. Perfect. And yet they disobeyed and the guilt and the shame had sunk in. They were no longer comfortable as they were And as they covered themselves, you can only imagine the conversation between husband and wife. It's all your fault. What did you do that for? What did you give it to me for? What were you talking to him for? You should have walked away. Luckily, we don't have those conversations now as husband and wife, isn't it? No issues like that. And so, verse 8, they hid in the trees from the Lord. They hid in the trees, the exact trees that God had created for them to have dominion and power over and authority over and to look after and to tender. Freely given them to eat. And now those, that creation and, that, and those trees are the things that they are hiding behind in shame and guilt. Mackenzie and I often play hide and seek at home. Um, we don't have a big house, so it's reasonably easy for me to find her, usually. But she's so small, she fits into the most peculiar places. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I pick up the, uh, the girls from childcare where Rachel works and we came home and I get Mackenzie out first and she wanders into the house and then I... As I get Ava out, I'd obviously had my back turned for a minute and I went inside and I couldn't find her. I thought, oh, she's playing hide and seek again. So I need to get dinner on and all this. So anyway, we go about finding her. I close the door and I go upstairs and I'm looking around and I looked in the usual spots but she wasn't there because she actually hides in the usual spots. And then I start getting worried so I think, I had the door open. I wonder if she went outside. You know, like a, you just think of the worst situations as a parent. Like your heart just starts telling you, oh, what if she's on the road? What's so I start yelling out, Mackenzie, where are you? <laughs> After a couple of yells, I think she saw the desperation, heard the desperation in my voice and she was in the, the hallway cupboard where the sheets and blankets go. I mean, there's no room. Like to, when you shut the door and she just pushed the door open up. Oh. Man, I gave her a big cuddle then. <laughs> Psalm 139, we read from that chapter last week, um, in 7 and 8, it talks about we can't hide from God. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, you are there. To the farthest ocean, you are there. There's no place you can be where God hasn't been and isn't existing right now. There's no hiding from God. As guilty as we can be and as shameful as we can feel, you can't run and hide from our Creator. 
the man that God had created with authority and the man that God had created in his image was nowhere to be seen. The sexual embrace that was when woman and man not so long ago were were first created and introduced to each other was gone. Where are God's miracles of creation? Where are the ones created in his image? And so in order to restore relationship, God searches for them. In order to restore relationship, God calls for them and he finds them. God didn't create them to be in hiding. He didn't create them to to live with guilt and shame and so he searches for them and finds them and restores relationship with them and he's been doing that ever since. And through Jesus dying on the cross in our place for our sins. This morning God is here in this place and he's calling you and he's searching for you. Because he wants to restore relationship with you. You weren't created to be on this planet to live your own life and to live with guilt and shame. God created you as a miracle to be in relationship with him and to spend eternity with him. Verse 12 and 13 continues with dialogue uh, you see between God and man and woman and so starts the blame game. The man blames God why have you given me this, this woman that you gave me? And then he blames the woman and the woman blames the serpent. Um, I've married into a family with two psychiatric nurses and I've regularly heard the phrase uh, take responsibility for your own actions Take responsibility for your own thoughts and emotions. And that's just them talking to the cats as I walk past. <laughs> yeah. It gets much deeper when I need to sit down and talk about those things. But confession and repentance... Well, I'm still getting dinner tonight. <laughs> confession and repentance, it starts with ownership. that you recognise it's my fault and yes I'm born with a sinful nature and separated from God but that's not the excuse for disobeying God, for not coming into relationship with him. Um, We need to take responsibility for our own actions and to say yes it is my fault. I have disobeyed, I have done the wrong thing. And 1 John 1 9 said that he is faithful and just to forgive us. The world as they knew it was changing forever because of sin. 
Uh, Things were changing for the serpent, Satan and the woman and man. Uh, You see in verses 14 to 19 the the consequences of their sin are, are laid out. There's a new way now of life that we are still dealing with today and we will deal with and have to face until Jesus comes again. The serpent was cursed and destined to crawl on its belly, uh, perhaps suggesting that the serpent was a, a creature created uh, with, I don't know, legs or created to be upright and um, I, I'm not exactly sure but, but the serpent is cursed and we still have snakes as scary as they are on their belly around the dirt. And then the reference to Satan about causing hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel is, is, a, is referred to as a prophecy of, of Satan trying to tempt Jesus. But of course, as we know, Jesus conquered death and conquered Satan at the cross and in his resurrection. It says the woman will experience greater pain in childbirth. Yes, I've been in the room when that's happened. That there is great pain. There will be desire to be in control in marriage but ultimately the man will rule and be head of the house. Now, what to say? I can see all the husbands here <laughs> have their wives under great control and ruling them very well so perhaps I can move on. You don't want to laugh too loud do you guys? I I will just say this and and I won't spend too much time on it. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about the man being head of the house and it's the order that God has given. But that order is all about responsibility. Um, not authority and ruling is about responsibility. We are to be responsible to God. I'm responsible to God for my household, for the way I conduct myself in my house, for the way that I raise my children and the way I love my wife. It's a great responsibility. But it's interesting to note that this way of life which God outlines here is not the way of life God originally created for man and woman. It's not the ideal but it's a consequence for sin entering the world. talks about the man will struggle continuously to make a living from the ground what was once given freely, what was once a privilege to eat freely and to maintain and to look after is now a continual struggle just to scratch a living from the ground to produce food to eat is by the sweat of your brow. These are the consequences of the decision 
of man and women of and man and woman to disobey God. But there are eternal consequences this morning for a decision that you need to make. Do you have a relationship with your Creator? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Saviour? Have you believed in Him? That what He did on the cross, that He died and that He rose again, was in your place for your sin? That you may have a relationship with God? That you may know that you are spending eternity with Him in heaven? Do I surrender myself continuously to God? Allowing him to change the way that I think. Asking God to take over my mind. Watch what I watch. Be careful of what I allow to come through my ears and change the way I think about others, change the way I think about how I relate to other people, how I love other people, change the way I think about how I forgive people, how quickly do I get angry, how merciful am I to people. Because the only way that that perfect, holy nature of God, character of God is ever going to be seen in Josh Davies is that if I surrender myself and God lives out through me. The decision is yours this morning and as you go into this week, will you think about it seriously and consider it? And if you need to talk to someone today, then myself and Garth and the elders or someone you know here, I'm sure is more than willing to talk with you. Shall we pray? Lord and God, you have done absolutely everything in order to restore relationship with you. In sending your son Jesus Christ to die in our place, that the penalty of sin is paid once and for all. And now you are calling us to yourself. Lord, may we respond in a way that restores a relationship with you, accept Jesus Christ as, your sa- as our Saviour, that we would know we are spending eternity with you. Help us to surrender our minds to you, that you would transform and change our lives by the way that we think and the way that we live would be a witness of your goodness and your love in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.